I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello everybody and a warm welcome to our first Motorsport Magazine podcast of 2015. And I must say, it is a real honour and a privilege to have back on our podcast Dario Franchitti. What better way to start the year? Dario, hi, thanks for coming in. Ah, thanks for having me. I was just around the corner so I thought I'd come around and have a cup of tea. Yeah, good. Well, carry on. Um, anyway, thank you everybody for joining us and uh, we've got a fantastic lineup this year. I'll tell you a bit more about that. Uh, at the end. But uh, with me today, of course, is our uh, editor-in-chief, Nigel Roebuck, uh, our roving man. Can I call you our roving man? Yes, I can. It's Simon Aaron, our editor himself. <laughs> Looks very chippy today, I must say, our editor, Damien Smith. And uh, we have, I don't know how many questions we have from you, our listeners, but there are a lot of them, and I'm going to start uh, with one from Alan McNish. Uh, start, no, start at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> start at the bottom and work upwards, yeah. Okay. We'll come to Formula E in a minute, by the way. Um, Mr. McNish seems rather concerned. Uh, he wants to know uh, where his $10 are, Dario. That's funny. I've got the same question to him. Um, yeah, we've been arguing about this now for the best part of 10 years. Uh, in 2005, we were racing at um, at Daytona. In 05, I think it was Marino, myself. I think it was Dan. No, it was Dan in 05. Kev McGarity joined us in 06. It was Dan Weldon and Milka Duno. Obviously, Milka brought the Citgo sponsorship. And so we, uh, we had a plug lead come off in qualifying. So McNish was there. I don't know what McNish was doing there. He certainly wasn't working. But he said um, something like, right, son, you've qualified last. Um how many cars do you think you can pass? And I said, no, I don't know, six or seven or something. He said, right, if you can make it 10, I'll give you $10, right? If you can't, don't make it 10, you owe me 10, right? Okay, fine, good. So we come up to the start, um, on the inside, at the back of the prototype grid. They've waved the green flag, they've said green, green, green in my ear, whatever. I've pulled out onto the apron. I've gone belting past a load of cars, barged my way through the first corner. End of the first lap, I think I'd passed 12 or something cars. I thought, yes! McNish's money is in my pocket. And just for everybody listening, $10 of McNish's money is at least a million of anybody <laughs> else's because he is so tight. Um, anyway, I got a drive-through penalty for jumping the start, crossing 
going into the apron, um, pulling out of line before the start finish line, and a bunch of other stuff. And so I got a, a drive-through penalty. McNish used that as a technicality and not to pay me my ten dollars. But I never paid him his ten dollars either. And in fact, we think Julian Jacobi might have the money still. <laughs> he might have been the the de- depositor of the money, and he was supposed to pay out. And because we can't agree on it, Julian still got it. <laughs> hey, Dario, it could be worse. He could be asking for the interest. Yeah, exactly. He's not getting that. Trust me, he's not even getting the bloody money. <laughs> I just wanted to. We just wanted to get that one cleared up. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> if you're listening, Alan, which you probably are, because you're not very busy these days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're all laughing here because he's the busiest man in the world. Is he? Yeah. Okay. Oh, God. Okay, you are busy. But anyway, you're not going to get your money, okay? <laughs> um, we must start, Dario, with Formula E because um, you are the commentator. And um, we're all wondering, what do you really think of all this? I am... The, uh, Jack's the commentator. Jack's the... Uh, uh, he's the... I'm the... I'm the ex parent expert. Oh, okay. I'm the sort of the color guy, and Jack does all the really hard work, and I just occasionally put in a comment somewhere okay. um, and try and sound somewhat intelligent. Um, it is the way I looked at it. It's the first season. It's very much they're, they're in the proving process. They're trying to get the the infrastructure in order, get the races on the calendar, um, sort out the technology, and just get a, a foundation going. And then next year, they're going to start opening up the the power units. The manufacturers will probably start getting involved, Mm -hmm. and then it it can grow. Um, Great racing. It's been absolutely great racing. Close racing. Very close racing. Um, Interesting cars to drive. I think they can slide around quite a lot with no downforce and and, and Mm -hmm. the the multi-purpose tyre. No, I haven't. I was supposed to drive one in a couple of weeks, but it it all got messed up with with the... with the timing, but you see them slide through the fast corners, and it looks it looks quite interesting. The cars need to be quicker. There's yeah. no doubt, and the cars will get quicker in the future. Yeah. Um, it's a difficult one for me, being a you know I love the the sound of a of mm. a V12 mm. or you know an H16 mm. or you name it mm. V8 flat mm. six, and so it's a bit difficult for me to sort of mm. to get my head around the fact the cars have this noise that they make, but the way I look at it. Um, at some point, the oil's going to run out, yeah. and we better start developing the technology as early as possible. Yep. And if we develop that technology to such a point, hopefully it'll allow us to play with our V12s and H16s and stuff for a longer period. And um, mm. it's not, in my opinion, it's not replacing F1. It's not replacing IndyCar. Um, it's a completely separate branch, and it's it was a brave step sure. by the people to 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 go ahead with it, but. I will say uh, Alejandro and the guys that are running the series, I'm I'm impressed with them. Yeah. I thought they've done a, so far a really strong job. The, the thing that impresses me is that uh, every city they go to, they're starting from scratch, having to build a circuit every time, which must be a huge expense for, st- for starters. But, I mean, th- obviously it's, uh, some circuits are better than others naturally with that kind of scenario, but uh, Buenos Aires looked pretty good. Buenos Aires was good. I'd never been to Argentina, mm. um, and I'd just been reading... Um, my Mike Hawthorn book when I went down there and he was talking about going down there and all the crazy <laughs> stuff that happened and cars going in crowds and I got there and wasn't prepared for the the passion of the mm. fans for any type of racing. They're crying out for it. They you know they all the, the crowd showed up massive numbers there. And I was thinking, God, IndyCar, F one, they need to yeah. get back here. It's 
didn't need it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's talk, isn't there, of, a, of a Formula One going back to Buenos Aires? There's talk of Formula One going to pretty much every city and every country well, in the world. Yeah, there there is, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 But uh, you're right. I mean, it would be certainly something IndyCar should look at. Yeah, exactly. When really? I get back to I mean, Brazil, you know, so why not? Yeah, when I get back there, that's the first thing I'm going to say to Derek Walker because it is yeah. what a, what a wonderful country mm. and um, yeah. what a passion yeah. for racing. Yeah. It yeah. really struck me. I mean, I, I was I was supposed to be at the Argentine one. I had to cry off for various reasons at the last moment, but I watched it on TV. I mean, and the racing was very good, as has been said. But you could actually, obviously, with the silence of the cars, you could actually hear the crowd. And, the, you know, just, and it was a very lively race, lots of incident, but every time something happened, just to hear the cheers, and it, and it was just fantastic. I mean, it, it was a brilliant atmosphere, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, was, that was clear. And the camera shots, the guys did a great job at showing them. There was one on the wall, one just, uh, I think, the penultimate corner, maybe, mm -hmm. the quick, quick right-hander, and it looked sensational. Yeah, it was a great shot, wasn't it? You could see yeah. them sliding, and then the exit wall was the apex of the next corner. It was right at the same point. It was a wonderful set of corners. Are you sure you're not going to be racing one next year? <laughs> Trust me, I'm not allowed. I would, okay. I'm, I'm definitely getting the itch to get back in something, and I'm just not allowed. It's just yeah. not an option. Yeah. But I do, the further I'm getting away from that accident, yeah. the more I'm getting an itch to, <laughs> to drive something. Where, where do they draw the line? I, mean, I know you're allowed to demonstrate cars, aren't you? I mean, yeah, how, no. how fast are you allowed to demonstrate them? That's a good question. No, I just wondered, <laughs> well, I just wondered if it had been defined or nothing you know. competitive. As long as it's not competitive, I think I'm okay. For instance, if I drive up the hill at Goodwood, the clocks can't be on. Mm. Um, I, but I can't race or, or do anything. That's the, the very clear. Um, I mean, I can go over to Germany and drive on the autobahn at mm. whatever speed I want. So you know, there's. It's not. I don't think it's about speed. It's about the competitive element. Well, you've, you've, you've won at the Goodwood Revival, so that's your career topped out anyway, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't get better than that. That was a high point. <laughs> well, there was actually, it was a low point the following year with the yeah. accident with, with 4WPD, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was actually one of the concussions that when they were sort of doing the, 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 the totting up process, they said, well, there was a big one there. Mm. And that was, that was um, disappointing. I just read a book on it, actually, on the car, um, on 4WPD, and it talked about the accident. I wish the guy had actually talked to me about the accident I could have told him some of the stuff that was going on um, yeah crazy he didn't yeah it was weird because according to him the car was in, in root health and all this sort of stuff but that mm. clearly wasn't the case unfortunately um, certainly wasn't after you'd finished with it no, no it really <laughs> wasn't <laughs> is it Sean Sean Lynn that bought it yeah god what a job he's done with it just yeah. making it perfect and then obviously Desri had the accident and a couple of years yeah, later yeah, and yeah. that car has had more hits than the Beatles hasn't it so, in theory, then, you could become motorsports chief track tester and drive <laughs> any car that we could find for you. Yeah. yeah that's an idea, isn't it? <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? I'm just looking here, and there's a... On the back wall here, there's an art, all the artwork of the covers, and yeah. the 917K is grabbing my eye. <laughs> we, 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 we don't pay. <laughs> we always like to do a bit of business during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, look, you were, you were last with us in... Um, 2011 seems like yesterday actually um and what a what a turmoil you've had since 2011 amazing um are you are you feeling good now i mean are you are you almost back sort of on top of everything yeah yeah i mean the my ankle's still a bit average really? um but i did go running for the first time the other day i, I was I've been really cautious with it and eventually I was getting I was going to the gym actually and I thought you know what sod it I'm going running if it hurts it hurts if something happens I don't care I want to be able to go mm -hmm. running 
and off I went. We did a couple of miles, and it was uh, it felt good. So apart from that, everything's yeah, everything's great. Good. So I'm uh, I'm on pretty pretty good form. That answers a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something that amazes me when you, when you had the shunt, I, I I mean, it was obviously a bad shunt, and we knew you were hurt, but we'd know in, initially we'd no idea about how badly you were hurt. Because I can, I think I sent you a text other than that night or the next day or something, and you replied, and it, the reply was perfectly lucid and sort of said, "Yeah, yeah, that was a bad one, wasn't it? Whatever." Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then, sort of, you know, a week, ten days, a fortnight later, I'm hearing from Robert, Robin Miller and and so on. Boy, you know, this this is much more serious than we thought. I mean, I just sort of wondered, was it more serious than you initially thought? Um, I knew the issues. I actually remember that, and I remember texting you. Yeah. And I've got pictures of me sitting in, in the bed in the hospital with my, my two dogs, <laughs> actually, <laughs> in, the, in the hospital room. Um, and I was quite okay to start with. Yeah. But then what happened was, uh, actually, quite a while later, my brain, I guess, started to swell up. And that's when it got a bit interesting. And that, that kind of coincided with a visit to Dr. Ovi um, and his sort of team there. And they, that's, when they, that's when they put the... You know the brakes on and, and said no, this isn't going to happen. But I was already worried about my back because I'd broken it before. It was held together with some rods. I'd broken it again in two places, plus some other damage. Um, the ankle was going to be a problem. Um, essentially, what happened with the ankle? Th there's a design fault with the car. They attached the master cylinders to the crash structure and not the bulkhead. Um, and when the crash structure did what it's supposed to do the master cylinders pushed everything back into my leg and shortened it up by a good bit. So the the, the surgeon in Indy did a, just a mega job. He really did. Um, Dr. Weber, absolute artist. So um, I was lucky with that. But yeah, I was I was concerned from a very early stage that this was going to be a, a problem. But then I thought it was going to be the back. But it turned out it was the it was the, the head and the and the concussions and it's it's the the chance of having another serious concussion, and apparently, the more you have, the less it force it takes to cause a bigger problem, and so on and so forth. Well, that's what happened to Neil Bonnet. Exactly. That's exactly what happened to Neil Bonnet. Yeah. Anyway, let's cheer. Let's cheer yeah, it up. Let's a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'd like to ask. The, the, the question comes from Paul King. I love this one. It says. Um, is it true that you've had the tiles in your bathroom made in the exact same shade of blue as Jim Clark's helmet? Um, <laughs> it's not my bathroom. Hello, um, whose bathroom is it then? <laughs> no, it's actually not, not my bathroom at all anymore because I, I sold the house. Um, oh. But um, Ashley and I were restoring an old silly big house in Scotland a long time ago and um, I took a lot of interest in the bathroom of this one room because it was going to be the Jim Clark room and the garages. And so I went round the, the tile shops and found the exact blue of uh, of Jim's helmet, and so we got the the bathroom done in that, and there was, and then as a surprise, I actually got a checkered flag, actually the, an artist to draw a checkered flag on the wall and everything in there. It was really that was cool, but that became the room that all the the Jim Clark stuff ended up in, and um, was a bedroom to start with, but by the end of it, there was no space for a bed, so <laughs> that was the end of that. But no, that that's that's now gone there. Uh, Sorry, that was my phone. That's now um, I sold that that the house. 
but the yeah. next house I get, I'm going to do the same thing. It's a, it's a, gr it's a, great, a great story, and thanks, Paul, for the question. Um, it's another Paul, can it be? It is another Paul. This is Paul Gibson. He wants to, he wants to hear about the story behind the possible F1 test deal that you had with McLaren in 1997 and the Jaguar test deal in 2000. And no, no, Nigel's laughing. We're supposed to be cheering him up. <laughs> Nigel's laughing because he's, he's, he's hoping you're going to tell the absolute truth. <laughs> Which one? The whole story. The McLaren whole story. or Jag? Well, well McLaren I, you know, to start with. Right, McLaren. You know, this, you know the whole story with that one. Um, the McLaren deal came about... Um, it's quite a long story, actually. I'd been obviously driving for Paul Stewart Racing with mm. Jan as a teammate, and that Jan had just absolutely blitzed the whole thing. And McLaren had signed him as a test driver. And I, I keep I keep a lot of things. I keep all those little things that eventually I think that might be interesting. And if there was a letter I've got from Ron saying, we signed Jan, um, you know, we really thought he was exceptional, blah, 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 sorry we didn't sign you. I thought, okay, I appreciate the letter. Um, then when I got involved with Mercedes um, and I'd been one young driver of the year, the McLaren Autosport young driver, mm. there was a test t as part of the prize of that. Well, because I was now a Mercedes driver, it turned into a pretty serious test and not sort of a five-lap run around Silverstone. So I did the test and it, it went quite well, apparently. Um, I was the end of 95. So then in 90, start of 97, um, Obviously, DTM had finished, and Paul Morgan and Norbert and Carl Hogan all got together and got this deal done for me to go to America. Paul Morgan was really the driving force on that one. Mm. Um, and I got this call saying, could you come to McLaren? Um, Ron and Norbert want to see you. So I came back from America, sat down with, with, with the two of them, and, and it was laid out, this long-term deal was laid out where I would race in America in the weekends, come back and drive the McLaren during the week at various tests because they were testing pretty much Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday most weeks, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. I was going to start doing that. I th I've got the contract at home somewhere. It's massive. Um, I'm trying to think here what happened with the... It, but it was, yeah, it was, that was the, 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 the basis of it. And I think they were going to sponsor, or you West were going to sponsor the IndyCar or something. There was some way they were going to help fund the whole Hogan thing. Sounds like a punishing schedule. It was going to be crazy. And they, they sent David Brown over. Mm. And David had kind of fallen out of favour, I think, at McLaren because he told them the car was a load of crap. And um, <laughs> David became, came over a couple of tests as my babysitter. No, Carl Hogan didn't appreciate that Ron had sent somebody over. And I'm thinking, this guy's one of the best race engineers in the world. Maybe we should, you know, listen to him. But that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I didn't... The problem with the McLaren deal was they could have got rid of me at any point. Yeah. And I was tied up for a long, long time. And, you know, when I sometimes look back, that was a crossroads, I think. And I could have taken that deal, and who knows what would have happened. They had Mika and David, and they had them for a long time afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So I chose not to take... Mm. to Not to do that, much to the... I think surprise and annoyance of of Ron and certainly Norbert. Norbert and I took a long time to kind of recover from that one. <laughs> um, so that was that was that. And one of the, the other reasons, you know, Alan had been a McLaren test driver, and I never really felt Alan got a fair yeah a fair uh, deal there at McLaren. And I wasn't sure I wanted to put myself in that position. Um, Actually, as things turned out, it was a good decision you made, wasn't it? I think it was. Don't you think? 
I think about who the hell knows what would have happened. And well, I mean, but I trust me, I'm very happy with what I ended sure. up getting to do. <laughs> and if I'd have made that choice, I might not have. Um, yeah. No, got to do any of that stuff. Absolutely. Well, there'd been no no race chance there because Mick and David, you know, they stayed healthy. They were racing together for a long time, so there was no. It's not like there was suddenly a, an opening that that would have come up. No, there wasn't, and I think Nick Heidfeld ended up taking taking that position, and mm. and that went nowhere. For yeah, him. never yeah. never got to race McLaren. No, so it, it's yeah, it was a. When I look back on it, I think bloody hell, that was, it was a fairly ballsy move, <laughs> but I, I just. But Ron was stunned when you said no wasn't he I, if I remember rightly I think he was yeah I don't think I've spoken to Ron since then actually um, <laughs> you've not missed much <laughs> <laughs> but the variety of your life in America that you lived since then um, must be make it, make it worthwhile all the things you did the cars you drove the people you met places you went to oh yeah and those champ cars of that era as well I mean yeah absolutely I got to drive some amazing cars I mean, not not only the current stuff, whether it was the Champ cars, the the later Indy cars. Um, I think the Champ cars were the highlight because they were the the big horsepower cars. Um, the later stuff, people say, oh, they were easy to drive. They were never easy to drive because they had less horsepower. You just set them up more aggressively. You would go around Indianapolis, and with the big heavy, with the big horsepower cars, you couldn't set them up too oversteery. With the, uh, the 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 lower horsepower cars, what were originally the I hate saying even these letters, but the IRL cars, you just set them up so oversteer that you were just constantly in yaw, and you couldn't drive the other cars like that. Um, you know the other cars, if they if they wog- wiggled once and you caught it, great. If they wiggled twice, you knew you were <laughs> going to hit the wall. <coughs> um, but yeah, I got to do sports cars. I got to, I, if you, I was thinking about this a while back. I got to drive a lo- and race a lot of different cool cars from. You know, saloon cars with the DTM, sports cars, yeah, the indie cars. Um, and I might not have been able to do that had I done the, the that deal or the Jaguar. or the Jag deal. Yeah, well, I mean, Jaguar probably Christ. was <laughs> one to miss, maybe. The Jag thing was, was bizarre, and it came from a conversation between Jackie, Julian Jacoby, and myself. And it was something along the lines of, you know, I'd like to have a wee go, <laughs> if I'm paraphrasing here. But and Jackie said, "I'll see what I can do." So I went to to Dearborn to Ford. I sat with the guys there, and it got quite complicated pretty quickly. And it wasn't a case of okay, go and have a test in our car, see if you like it. It was right. Here's a contract, and if if it goes well, we've already got the contract in the in the briefcase, so to speak. If it doesn't, then we'll just we'll, we'll give it a miss. Um, and Barry Green was good enough to release me to do the test, but he then said, if you don't, if you don't end up doing the F1 thing, I want a, a deal. So that which I was fine with because I loved racing there. So I signed a deal there as well. And I ended up I would do. I remember going to Silverstone. I went over. I went over in Concord to do a seat fit. They were clearly spending the money in the wrong <laughs> ways. <laughs> oh, Jag. <laughs> Um, it still amazes me that it, Red Bulls came out of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or that Stuart Grand Prix became that. Yeah. Um, so I go over to the seat, come back, and when I went over there. It wasn't a very good atmosphere straight away. I could tell I wasn't exactly wanted. I would say. Um, and the mechanics were telling me what the engineers were doing wrong with the cars, and it was kind of one of those things. Anyway, I came back to the the test. 
um, I would do these sort of press gatherings and my lawyer at the time, Peter Goodman, had to sit next to me, tell me what questions <laughs> I could answer. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is too bloody complicated. I just want to yeah. drive the car. So I, I get in the car and I was, from my side, I, I was struggling because I'd had that accident at Homestead where I'd broken my pelvis. I'd given myself a proper knock on the head, which I really think took me two years to get over the, that concussion. And so I was not in good form anyway. I had a... a uh, a, a ruptured disc in my neck which is the first time in a Formula 1 car in quite a while is not the best thing maybe so I was not in the best of form anyway went out first day not too bad come in the next morning I've got a different car already because I think one of them suspension broke and it crashed on the hangar straight blah 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 and who the hell knows what spec it was whatever but I was way off the pace and you know maybe put some of that down to if I was doing long runs, I'd put some of it down to my, you know, my my physical fitness, my concussion, or whatever. But I was still back in America. But a month later, I broke the lap record at Road America and qualifying. So I was still able to make a cargo quick over one lap. But I don't know why. I don't know what spec the car was. I don't know why it was sort of the test happened the way it did. But it was clear that I was not wanted. And, uh, Did you feel that from the, the outset that, 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 that everything was in place for it not to work out? Yeah, yeah, and I was I was pretty I was pretty clear that I didn't want to be part of it. But it put I think that test put paid to any chance I had of ever doing anything in Formula One ever again because I was so far off. And as I say, you know, I was still even with the the, the, the mental and the physical stuff going on from that accident, I was still able to put. You know, flying a car around for one lap, um, but so sounds depressing. Actually, it was, it was, it was absolutely not a happy ship. Jesus, no. you know, long before you went. There. No, no, absolutely. And Bobby Rahal, when he went there, he yeah. he then came out and said, "Oh, there was there was some weird stuff going on at that test and stuff." And um, so I remember I was in New York. I was driving, getting. I was getting driven along somewhere and the phone rang and it was Neil Wrestler saying um, we've decided we're not going to do it and I said oh thank god because <laughs> I really don't want to do it either and um, and that was very much the end of, of, of that so that was the that was the JAG deal Bobby's the next lunch with in the magazine actually so he hasn't um, Simon hasn't filed a copy yet I'm interested to see what his take is now all these years later on the whole Jaguar thing and you know, what he can say <laughs> about it really hopefully it's as good as lunch with AJ I love AJ. It's when the Mario Andretti thing, when Simon said, Oh, I had burgers too with Andretti. Even before I'd read the next line, I thought, Oh, no. (laughs) 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 Simon's not going to get Texas alive. (laughs) But you know, the curious thing is, when you speak to either of them, they can't actually, the, the problem they have, they can't trace it back to any one thing. It's just a kind of general. Well, we we you know we just don't get on. Yeah. Well, well, why don't you? Well, but you never get a, actually get a firm. Hmm. Can you do you know of anything? No, no. You were in that. I mean, you went to that dinner last year, yeah. um, with, and it's the same with with Bobby Unser and and Mario to a degree. It's the same with any of those guys from that era. Hmm. That they all, I think the competition was so intense. Hmm. And yeah. Parnelli, same, Parnelli, same they, thing, yeah. They top dog, I think, yeah. They still hold on to, I don't know if they're grudges, but they've still got that competitive mm. element with each mm. other. I remember the Gurney sat at a dinner that Jim Hall, the RRDC do that dinner at Long Beach everywhere. 
that Bobby Rahal does a great job with. And Jim Hall was sort of giving us some... He was the, the honoree one year. And he was telling a story and Gurney waves me over and he says, didn't happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? He's like, yeah, no, it was, that wasn't. No. <laughs> That's his version of the truth. <laughs> when you were list- listing some of the, the great stuff you've done in the States, you omitted to mention the word NASCAR. Do you, do you have any regrets about your flirtation with that? I mean, you said great stuff. Yeah, no, no, the, the stuff you listed was great, but you didn't mention NASCAR. I just wanted, any, uh, any, regrets, any regrets at all? No. No, no regrets. I mean, I've I've been told, oh, well, you could have won another 500 or another championship. And the way I look at it, in 2008, you probably weren't going to beat Scott Dixon anyway. If I was an IndyCar, I probably, you know, <laughs> Dixon was on a charge that year and mm. ultimately I think would have beaten anybody to that championship and the 500. Um, no, no, because I learned a hell of a lot in NASCAR. You know, there's nothing like getting going from winning the championship in IndyCar in the 500 to just getting kicked in the, the guts every weekend and not having a clue what you're doing and just having to sort of dig unbelievably deeply to mm. to try and finish in the top 25 in a race. And so I, I really, I, I learned a lot and it allowed me, the way it worked out, I took a year out essentially and got to get into the target team. I probably, that would not have happened had I stayed in IndyCar. Um, it was a weird time, but I, you know, I, I, I eventually I sort of I did half some half decent performances, I think, in the nationwide car, um, which I got a hell of a lot of satisfaction out of. But um, yeah, I wouldn't be rushing, even if I was, fi- I, I would, I wouldn't do that again. It was just so different, and to try and it would be like somebody who's never like Jimmy Johnson saying, "Right, I'm going to go race um, single seaters. I'm going to F1." <laughs> yeah, not having not driven, mm. and that's kind of what I tried to do, and it was probably ill advised. And that would have been trying to win races in a, a Marussia, really, because at that <laughs> point the Ganassi cars were <laughs> were not very good. Um, Where was it? I remember you telling me at the at the time it was, or it was just after you dropped, or you just got out of NASCAR and you were relieved. But you were just talking about you know you have no idea what these things are like, and there was there was. I can't remember, it was, might could have been Alcant, I don't think it was, can't have been Alcant. Somewhere, anyway, you'd been testing, you had tested a sports car, and there was a particular corner that was just about flat, and it was, was it second gear in the, in the stock You're car? absolutely right, great where, 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 where was it? It was Road Atlanta. It was, oh, okay. And I'd gone there to test, not even the cup car, the nationwide car. And we'd run round, run round all day, and the first corner was brake, not hard, but, you know, Fairly gentle break, down two gears, up the hill. I'll never forget that test because at the end of the day, he pulled out a car and goes, now try this one. And it was a second and a half quicker than the other car because the body was a little different. I was like, oh, okay. But anyway, I went there, would have been three months later, with Duncan Dayton mm. asked me to, to come and drive with uh, Scott Sharp and, and David Brabham, and it was flat in six gear in the qualifying lap. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> on the boards. <laughs> A bit of a culture shock after <laughs> driving the old uh, old NASCAR for a year, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we must take some more questions from our loyal readers and listeners, and this one comes from Glenn Alcock, and he wants to know, Dario, if you could have driven in any era, what would it be, and what type of racing would you have enjoyed the most? So you could pick from the beginning of time. I think the 30s would have been pretty interesting. 
Um, sure would. I'm not sure I would have wanted to drive for the guy that was paying the bills. <laughs> but well, you fancy an auto union with a cloth helmet? <laughs> I was thinking more of the front engine stuff with Mercedes, but still, ultimately, yeah, yeah. I, no, I'd, I'd love to have had a go. The sixties, yeah, you know that. I've, I've funny enough, I just got all a bunch of motorsports from sixty-one through to eighty-nine. I started and I read the whole thing from sixty-five already. Was the first year I picked. I would have loved to have raced in the sixties. I'm not sure I would have survived. To be honest, well, plenty didn't. No, uh, yeah, uh, no. What 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 is it? I mean, uh, what is the appeal of it? Because so many people do talk about that era. You know, about it, the quality of the racing, the the atmosphere, everything. But there's something about it. What is it? it made the cars were very pretty, weren't they? Nice looking cars. I think the cars were. Yeah, they were very pretty. I mean, you read. The, the magazine and you, it was a different time you know the, the cars were getting the car to the end of the race was a major yeah, achievement yeah. Um, the racing probably wasn't that great it was more about you weren't so a lot of times you weren't racing the other guy you were racing the track and the car yeah, yeah, yeah. you know keeping the car together um, yeah it would have just I think maybe it's a romantic thing but just to go back and, and to mm. to experience that I think would be would, would have been wonderful um, to drive I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All those different cars on a weekend, and um, yeah, that was th- that was a big thing, wasn't it? So, like seeing Jimmy Clark in a in a Cortina and in a Grand Prix car, and possibly even in a sports car. At the same. Yeah, I mean, imagine you know that'd be like seeing Alonso. Driving three races on a on a weekend when you went to a Grand Prix. Well, it? no, absolutely, and I, I can remember days like that yeah. with Jimmy. You know, yeah. I can remember. Sure, I can remember Jimmy doing a national meeting at Alton Park. Is that right? Yeah, in 1964, um, and he was reigning world champion. It wasn't. I mean, it was just a national meeting. Mm. It was in. I think it was in April. It was just before I went back to school. Okay. Anyway, I was there. <laughs> And Jimmy should have driven, given the Lotus 30 its uh, its debut, and it wasn't ready. And there was a guy called George Pitt at the time who raced a Lotus, still racing a Lotus 19. And he said to Jimmy, "Do you want to? What do you want to?" And Jimmy said, "Yeah, okay." You're kidding? No. And Jimmy drove the Lotus 19, of course, won the race. <laughs> and he drove an Alan in another race that oh, day, yeah. and the Cortina. Fantastic. And that was a, a national meeting at Alton Park in April. And he was world champion at the time. Ah, Derry, yeah. you, you, know, you, you get the sports heritage. You understand it. You're passionate about, about it. When you've been talking to your 
contemporary races. Do you, have you found many others who've got the same kind of interest in history? If you just start discussing Lotus 38, they look at you blankly. Um, yeah, there's not, I think maybe, a, a, there's not that many. I, Mar Marino's the same. I mean, he's just as, he's just as bad as me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think through the grid. Um, I think Marco's getting more into it. I think Marco's getting more into his, his Nono's legacy, his, to Mario's legacy, and looking into that, and I think he's getting a bit more excited about that whole hmm. that whole thing, um, which is, is great. And um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, James Hinchcliffe's a massive Greg Moore fan, which I think is great, and he's you know he really is is sort of excited by that. Um, they need they need to come to Goodwood and one see what it's all about. One they? of the interesting things I find talking to racing drivers is a lot of a lot of the guys aren't interested in road cars at all. You know, it's just that all they're focused on is the racing side, and road cars don't really mean much to them. You're not the same, are you? You you're 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 interested in the road stuff as well. Yeah, I love I love road cars. Actually, Graham Rahal, I think, has got quite a good a good sense of the history of the sport. Um, yeah, I love road cars. I I I, I love cars of any any description. <laughs> to be quite honest and. Um, yeah, I love all different kinds of road cars, and I think, unfortunately for Marino, his son Luca is is taking over that same thing. He is anything. He's fascinated by anything that's got an engine, motorbikes, cars, mm. um, helicopters. <laughs> um, so yeah. And do you still ride bikes? Motorbikes. Yeah. Um, I've got. I've got nothing sort of exciting. Quick. Right. Um, I've still got an MV Agusta in kit form from wow. the accident, <laughs> but I've got some some big old cruisers. I'm thinking about uh, I don't know something for London, maybe like a, a yeah a Triumph Scrambler that I can customize or a Ducati or something. I'm, I'm sort yeah, of yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking about that just now. And at this point, my mother and my insurance broker have just fallen over if they're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, that answers that answers um, one of our questions. And another one um, is, you've gone back to live in Scotland. I have. Um, why? Because I love it and it's okay. home. Yeah, um, that's a good answer. Yeah, it's for fourteen years. I think I lived in the states, maybe longer. Yeah. And I had the most wonderful time. I lived in the most wonderful place. Just like in Nashville was stunning where I lived and had a great time. But I was always homesick. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is that right? Always. Always homesick. Really? Yeah. Really? I never knew that. And up until about two thousand and seven I didn't even have any cars over there or anything. I didn't I didn't sort of and then I started to sort of get one or two cars over there that I could play around with and mm. but I I'd kept a big chunk of my life in Scotland and um yeah, so the fact that I can now come home is is fantastic. I'm spending as much time in America. No, not quite as much time, but I'm I'm on a, a planes a lot. Yeah. I'm traveling a lot now. Back to the IndyCar races, the Formula E stuff, and and various other stuff that I've got going on. Um, you know, stuff I'm doing with Honda, that kind of stuff. So I'm flying back and forwards a lot, but yeah. really enjoying being back in uh, in Scotland and down here in London and being able to go and do road trips in Europe and stuff like that. Yeah. How many how many races will you do go to with Ganassi this year? Do you think? Um, we're we're talking about that right now. Um, at least ten, okay. at least ten, maybe maybe sixteen. We're we're just we're we're sort of trying to figure that out just now. Are there any um, adventures you got in mind that you want to do? You know, any trips or things you've always fancied having a go at? 
We talked about that, didn't we? We talked about going down down to um down to Sicily. And I still fancy doing that. Um I wanna get in, into the Alps and, and head east a bit from there as well. See some of the great roads. Mm. But the Sicily thing, you know, I read the BRDC did a book. Um I think it was when Jenks died. It was a it was a sort of a thing yeah. of his um his columns. No. It was the best of his columns basically. And that really got me in the mood to go and do all these crazy road trips. And um now having you know, these motorsport magazines to read o- over however many years. It's sort of really getting me in the mood again to, to go and, and do that. Jenks drove to the Targa in in nineteen sixty five, I think. In, in the, the Lotus. In the land. Can you believe <laughs> I just read that. Talk about an act of faith. <laughs> I mean I I had three Elands and I adored them, but for long journeys, you know, it was not a and he but he did that but he then he went in a Europa. The original, you remember the original yeah. Renault engine Europa oh with windows that didn't open? Yeah, you Can you imagine that? the heat? Yes. It had Colin Chapman air conditioning. That was all <laughs> it had. <laughs> he, yeah, that trip when he did that in the Lotus was incredible. He talks about all the spares he had in the back and nobody could believe it actually got there. And What was it the factory said to him? Um, if you get to Sicily, don't worry, we've got the, the, the race team mechanics will put the thing back together for you. <laughs> <laughs> if you get there. Yeah, if you get <laughs> If you see them. Brilliant. I think you've, you've got to repeat this journey, haven't you? You've got to do it. Oh, yeah. You've got to do it. The, okay. other, the other adventure we want to do is um, when Jimmy, when Border Reavers bought the D-Type, um, he had to get it to full Sutton and the truck something happened to the truck so they basically pulled the d-type off the back of the truck not far from from uh, duns or from turnside and he drove it in the snow to full sutton and quite fancy recreating that, that you, you could do it this week the way things are i'm gonna say i i'm not sure we'd do it in the snow <laughs> this time I think, I think the owner might be a little perturbed but uh that'd um, be fun well we're on the subject of um the scots uh, Tony Guerin wants to point out, actually, that you, McNish, Coulthard, all retired. Uh, who's coming from Scotland in the future? Yeah, that was a uh, it was a tough one, that wasn't it? I mean, obviously, DC had had retired. Mm. Alan, um, af- just right after me, that yeah. came as a bit of a shock to me. I must admit. Really, you thought he, you thought he'd keep going for a bit? Yeah, he seemed to still have the the fire, which just shows how good he is at hiding it. You know that's he's a project for that because I was on a I did a road trip with him after the Austin sports car race and he'd won the race and he was clearly on the way to the championship and the the, the retirement thing in our on our trip was in the air and I was like I'll ask him about it once we we get warmed up and see you know and he was very cagey about it and he said afterwards that that weekend was the time when it started to really um, be something he's seriously thinking about up until then he hadn't. But I don't think I did him any favours with my little exhibition no, in Houston. Your, your name <laughs> did come up. Yeah. I think it got him thinking. Um, <laughs> what, what was the question? Well, no, I, well, Tony Guerin oh, uh, yeah. is saying... Who's coming well, from? Yeah, who's coming from Scotland? Because, you know, looking back over the years, we've, all, we've had great Scots, haven't we? Well, I think David Leslie, father and son, should get a lot of that credit. Yeah. Because of the... You know, we had... Obviously, Jim, Jackie, um, yep. Jerry Birrell, and then it was, there was you know there was some guys that were fairly good, and then David Leslie came along with yep. a lot of talent and no money, yep. and then Bert McNish, 
Duncan Coulthard, my dad, they were sort of they were the guys that really were t- taking the big risks yeah, to yeah. to to help their their their, their sons and. Yeah. Um, Alan came along in '87 with into cars. I mean, yeah. obviously started cars a lot earlier than yeah. that. But Alan, then David came along two years later. I came along two years later after that. Um, you know, Ryan came along. DL. Um, there's a bunch of the guys. Andrew Kirkcaldy, um, Marino came along, um, yeah. and then more recently, Paul. Um, the the rest are clearly. You know, he did. If ever there's proof that talent doesn't count for that much yeah, in yeah, F one, he's a good example. As is Jean Eric Verne, actually. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not just limited to to British drivers. Um, no, sure. You know, as I said, and so right now, um, you know, Ryan's doing a good job in America. Um, Marino, when he can get in a car, is doing a great job. Obviously, you know, he won Sebring last year. Yep. Um, Paul is, is, is now back in DTM and hopefully with the, the Mercedes guys have got their stuff together this year and they can make a run at the championship. But um, there's a bunch of enthusiasts in Scotland who are really keen to, to keep... Keep the tradition. Keep the factory going, keep the, the, yeah, the young good. drivers coming up. Good. Um, good. And so we're, we're working quite hard on that just now. Obviously, we've got Kieran Haggerty who... Simon saw it at the festival and you know does a great job. Um, he's at the very early stages, but hopefully we can keep we can help him get up the ladder. Um, it's we were lucky. We had obviously Jackie in the mm. in the staircase of talent, and yeah, you yeah. know with Paul Stewart racing, um, and that was for me that was a lifeline. Um, it's harder now, isn't it, to come up? I don't know. I mean, it was pretty bloody hard then. I must <laughs> admit, when you when you've got no money, it's always hard. Yeah. Um, but, but at least there were opportunities in when you were coming up. I know it, it wasn't. I'm not saying it was easy. Of course, it wasn't. But there seemed to be f- so few opportunities. Certainly in this country, and the single seater ladder's so fragmented. And you know, you got racing steps are doing great things. Um, you know, Red Bull have put a lot in over the years. But there's, that's about it, really. There's not. There's not many. I'm trying to think. Yeah, where where you can go if you don't have a, a, a you know a budget. And I'm, you know, I'm coming up a blank here. And Go and play that. tennis, I suppose. Yeah. Like, yeah. Actually, Andy was winning when I when I left to come <laughs> here. He was doing a hell of a good job. Um, you're right. What do you but do? I mean, I mean then just looking at the numbers, I mean, as we stand at the moment for 2015, there are 18 Formula 1 cars on the grid. Well, just below that, you've got 22, 23 Formula Renault 3.5 cars. You've got 26 GP2 cars. You've got 27 GP3 cars. You can have 40, 45 FIA F3 cars. I mean, there's an awful lot of people there Chasing, I mean, there's only one or two percent of them have got any chance at all. And you know, Red Bull owns four of the F1 cars. Yeah. yeah the, the, numerically, the chances are stacked against everybody, pretty much. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, if you if you decide as I did back in the day that okay, IndyCar is the way to go, that opens up a bit more. Um, or you can go the sports car route, and that opens up a wee bit more too. But ultimately, there's there's not the turnover of drivers at the top end that there used to be either. Because it's, well, it's it's safer and careers last longer and touch you know, wood. Yes, yeah. it's, it is. It's, it's not you don't get guys like Jackie retiring at the absolute top of their game at thirty one thirty three. Was he thirty three? He did. That doesn't happen. So there's a there's a, a traffic jam at the top, and um, I don't know how to fix it. And at, even before that traffic jam, to find the money to fund um, is is very very difficult. So I'm glad I'm. I'm glad and I'm lucky, I think, and fortunate, if that's the word, that I was 
involved in the period that I was. Got a question from Croatia. Comes from Davor Stimak, and he wants to know: Do you think that the new aero uh, packages that are being developed for IndyCar will attract any of the F1 design guys to go over and tackle that? I kept asking Adrian Newey every time I see him at Goodwood <laughs> or at some other thing. Like, come on, Adrian, just design a body kit. Come on, come on, it'll be fun. Um, he never took me up on it. Um, no, I don't think there's the the money there. Because there's, they've got to sell them for a certain amount. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's quite an open um, set of rules. I, think it's I don't know what they look like. I haven't, I haven't no. seen either. Um, I certainly wouldn't have seen the Honda one, and, and I haven't been testing with the team when the when the the, the Chevy guys have been running it. But um, we need to be careful there with those body kits that you know they don't sort of start. Um, taking backward steps yeah. with you know with with sort of taking down force away again or whatever because there was a reason for doing them yeah. and that was to increase performance yeah and so l let's let that yeah. increase performance run i think as well you know yeah. and i think that there is a need also for for the cars to look different and that was what i thought at indy last year it's the you know to have all right paint schemes and you know make make have an, an effect on yeah. the, you know what you're seeing but fundamentally you're looking at 33 yeah yeah identical yeah, yeah. cars. So I, I mean, from that point of view, I think it's 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 needed. Totally agree yeah. with you, Nigel. The only problem we were talking about this the other day. If you take, took the F1 grid and painted them all white, oh, same you thing. Same know. thing. You yeah. wouldn't know, would you? I think they're you know with all the wind tunnels and the CFD now and everything, they're getting so close yeah. to the you know that perfect point that they might end up just looking the same and and um, but hopefully it'll allow them to run quicker. There's certainly, I would imagine, there's going to be a lot more downforce for some of the tracks. Um, hopefully, they run quicker at Indianapolis. And um, I tell you one thing, though, I think it's going to be a lot more physical for the the drivers because the G forces are going to be even bigger. They're already mm. big, and there's no power steering in those cars, and they're heavy. Uh, I spoke to Daniel Abt after he tested at Barber, and he'd driven you know what, a couple of years in GP2, and he. <laughs> He was just blown away by the the physical effort of driving that thing. And, and GP GP two cars aren't. I mean, they're not. You know, they're quite, they're physical. I mean, they've got no power assisted steering or anything. I mean, they're big brutes of cars as well. Yeah, and he said mm, that wasn't even close to the Indy car. Why is it just on cost grounds that it's not allowed? Or I mean, why why wouldn't it be otherwise? I mean, it just I don't know. We've had this discussion for ten years plus. You know, drivers are the steering is so heavy that drivers are injuring themselves. And um, just with the f the, f the force, and w especially as the, when the, the the forces spike in a in a dip or a compression or something, and yeah, there's been nothing done about it. So I don't know if if it's cost, I, I doubtful. It's not that expensive to put a set of uh, you know to put a power steering system in a car. Maybe it just can't be put in the car. We asked that it would be designed into this latest Dallara, and and it wasn't. Actually, Scott um, Scott Cleary uh, has a question. It's very simple, straightforward. He says, "What would you do?" to get IndyCar back to its absolute best. If, I mean, if you were in charge right now, what would you do? That is such a difficult question because <laughs> there's always the unintended consequences of, of your of your actions. So it's a gut feeling, though. That it's a gut feeling. Um, the on-track product's great. Um, I would definitely give the cars more horsepower again. More speed, yeah. More speed. The downside with that, though, is as soon as you start giving them more horsepower, it shortens up the straights, and you're not going to get as much overtaking because you're on the straight for less time. You've got less time to set up a pass. Yeah. 
Uh, well, people like Parnelli and, uh, and, and Bobby Unser and so on are always saying, yeah, they should definitely do that more horsepower, but they should also take downforce away. Which is the... So that... Because Parnelli was saying last year, the thing, it, it was, and he was at its best when they were bullet quick in a straight line and you simply could not think about, you know, taking the turns flat. So, so there, were, there had to be a lift. And he said that way, you know, that way you got overtaking. Yeah. And it was a matter of who, who lifted for how long. And there's also safety consideration here, isn't there? No, th I think nowadays there's always safety consideration, isn't there? That's always big, a big part of it, whereas yeah. before that it wasn't so much, I would say. Before being decades before. Yeah. Um, yeah, the downforce thing is, uh, especially with this new car, we've, we've just talked about the body kits, which is going the opposite way. But I think come in, come in, they'll hopefully they'll be able to make these things so slippery that they, they'll be right on the edge again. Um, and, uh, yeah, I do agree. Take some downforce away. We're but then you're talking Indianapolis. What about the road courses and the short ovals? Yeah. Taking downforce away is not the answer there, I would say, because I drove the, the Champ car with the Speedway wings on those. I think it was 2001 and two, And because they had limited downforce, if you were leading, you had clear air, great as soon as you got behind you could be running a, i mean literally a second a lap quicker around a short oval mm. and you get behind the guy and you just couldn't you couldn't get close because your car was so reliant mm. on any fraction of downforce so you have to be careful of that i think with the downforce those guys had zero downforce the new any car in the last sort of 20 30 years has had you know some mm. so i don't know how far back when you say take all the downforce away you'd have to take everything away to to do that um, one thing I don't the fans love it as a driver I, I didn't like about this new car at, at, at Indianapolis it provides great racing but if you're able to run 227 miles an hour and the guy your racing can run only 225 at the front he just can sit behind you the car creates such a hole in the air that you cannot get away you just no matter how quickly you run you just can't there's no there's no payoff for for being the quickest you're setting yourself up for that last that last lap laps of the of the race Dario whenever we whenever we uh, invite people to send in questions somebody always mentions Juan Pablo Montoya I don't know why but they do now this is very good news for Nigel Roebuck because Nigel is a huge fan of Juan Pablo anyway Chris B wants to know um, what do you th what did you think of Montoya's forays in America I mean bear in mind okay you know he, he had a pretty good time in Formula One um, <laughs> I mean I go back years 20 years plus with Monty you know he drove my Vauxhall Lotus car did he? he crashed it when the brake pedal fell off. The li brake pedal literally fell off the car and he had a huge accident and I thought he'd crashed it and had a little word with him. Um, we were teammates in the DTM for a race when we smashed yeah. doors for a lap at Silverstone. Um, he showed up in America and, you know, he was mighty. He really was. He was, you know, yeah. okay, he was in the, the best team at the time and everything, but he was mighty. Yeah. And... He went away to the to F1, and I almost there was uh, been super critical. There was a there was some unfilled, there was a lot of unfilled potential there. He 
he was that good. And went back to America, did the NASCAR thing, and that was just just never the cars. As I said, when I drove them, the cars were never that good. And when the he, he was the, the cars were never as good as they needed to be. I don't think Monty put the work in. Yeah. I don't think he had the experience yeah. to know what to do either. So that was a ultimately that was a very. Uh, for for him and for Chip was just a, it was a, a, a letdown. You see, he, but he kept insisting. I used to say to him, "This cannot." Someone with your mentality, this cannot be satisfying. And he was, "No, no, I love it. I love it. NASCAR. I think it's great." I, I thought, I, I really struggling to believe you. I, re- I mean, I read that when you were asking that question, and he would say, "Then we've discussed it too, Nigel." And I, I would think it can't be. And I was part of that team for a while. And I tell you, it wasn't bloody fun for me. No. And, you know, was it the fact he could do what he liked outside the car? You know, he could go and he didn't have to train and mm. he'd spend time flying his airplanes or riding his bikes. Or I don't know if that was the reason. But when he came back to, to IndyCar last year, I thought, all right, okay, here we go. This is going to be interesting. And he was, he was definitely out of shape to start with. And he's still, you know, he's not Scott Dixon, Tony Canan fit. But he's he's as strong as a bull. Mm. He's as stubborn as a bull too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he at the start he looked like he was struggling. He mm. really yeah. the early tests. I said to him, it was like winding him up. I said it's the first time I've I've seen you not look like you not look like you didn't know what you were doing. And he got really angry, <laughs> 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 which was the <laughs> which was the idea. But um, he quickly came back to looking like the old Montoya. And as the season went on, only became more so. And in my opinion, he's going to be one of the guys you're going to have to go through to win the championship this year. Really? Yeah. And I think he's got his his uh, excitement for racing back. Like you said, he kept com- saying that he was loving it. I said I was loving it too when I was doing it. Yeah. But I think he's got his, his passion for racing back. You, you can see he's got another 500 in him, definitely. Um, do you think he's got a championship in him in terms of week in, week out? Yes and yes. I think he's got one more championship in him, and he's definitely got at least one five hundred in him. Um, yeah, he, he, he did it this the f- last seventy five percent of the season impressed me a lot, um, and I'm quite I'm quite critical, and I was very impressed with what he did. I have to say, I, mean, I, I had the privilege of working with him for two or three years as he was coming up the European ladder, and he was great fun, and he's actually one of the most naturally gifted young drivers I've ever worked with without question I mean just I mean a complete fruitcake at times but in a good way yeah in a good way he never got there's never been a period apart from maybe those two years at Ganassi where he got his experience level his desire and everything lined up at the same point do you know what I mean hmm. I think now might he might have that and um, if he does yeah, I think that that natural talent was always there, but the desire sometimes was maybe not there. Or, yeah, I remember there was a, a the F three thousand street race in Helsinki in ninety seven. I mean, he was way quicker than everybody immediately, and it, everyone else kind of gradually got to the kind of level he'd set on, a, on his first or second flying lap. And then in the race, he just got away, 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 and the team were putting out boards saying, bloody well, slow down, you idiot. And eventually, of course, he stuck it in the wall. And as far as I know, Helmut Marko is still to this day furious about it. No, somebody doing that in Helsinki. 
I might have oh, yeah, done, I might have done that, that two yeah, years yeah. in a row in the DTM <laughs> car. I did exactly the same thing. No, probably not while your team was telling you to slow down because you were leading by 35 <laughs> seconds and you didn't need to go any faster. <clears throat> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to come from the back of the grid and done it. Yeah, anyway. No, the other thing with Monty, he's getting smarter. Hmm. He is getting... He's He's... Yeah he's got that experience now and his, you watch him in the longer races how his brain works now and you go mm, okay <laughs> so yeah he's, Just, he'll be a handful he, he, he had his problems with Ron as well didn't he oh yeah <laughs> what's it they say he, fe- he fell <laughs> off his tennis racket <laughs> if or, or he's playing tennis on a motocross bike it was yes. one of the two things yeah, I can't remember which I can't imagine two more different people actually but anyway um, apparently they got on he was at the Grand Prix in Austin yeah. and they had a great chat and so yeah, well, I mean that, but they used to play golf, and but what he could never understand was that when he played golf, when he was his great, you know, great mate, and then next day in the factory, you know, Ron would just walk straight past yeah. him, and he was back to being an employee. All is forgiven, like Fernando and Ron. With, were they playing golf on motocross bikes? <laughs> <laughs> Let's take one last question from Anthony Jenkins, and it's uh, Dario. Can you tell him what the biggest differences are between racing in America and racing in Europe? Because I think a lot of people think, well, okay, it's just you go racing, whether it's Africa, Australia. What are what are the fundamental differences? It's there's an attitude difference. Um, I don't know. To say less bullshit would be too simplified. I think um, you know people see over there the drivers getting on and think, oh yeah, they're just there having a good time. The competition level is every bit yeah. at, the, at the IndyCar level is every bit as yeah. tough as in Europe. You've all got the same stuff. You don't have the advantage of having, you know, a, a Mercedes engine last mm-hmm. year or any of that stuff. So you've got to find it in other ways. And the competition level is high, but <coughs> the drivers seem to maybe get on a bit better. And maybe that's because of the 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 danger level of the the ovals. I don't. You reckon? Yeah, I think that could that that plays a fact in a lot of things that happen. I think in America. With the way people go racing, um, but yeah, apart from that, it's, it's racing as as usual. I would say there's, there's a different feel to it. But there's a different feel too to the, the 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 kind of the teams, the drivers seem closer to the fans than they do. There doesn't seem to be this kind of we're not really interested in you lot out there feeling. Definitely Am closer. Right? Well, it's an open paddock. With IndyCar, it's an open paddock. Makes a big difference. So you you are there, and um, yeah. So that that that, that as a f- if to come to America as a fan, you definitely get a, a, yeah. a much closer uh, view sure. of things, yeah. and um, which I think is a huge huge positive. Yeah. You know, I can remember the first time I went to Indy. I can remember being absolutely knocked sideways by that, because that was when was that eighty one. But by then, Formula One had become, starting to become rarefied and, the, you know, you couldn't buy a paddock pass or anything like that. It absolutely blew me away that at the Indy 500, mm. which without any question was then far and away the, the biggest race on earth, mm. and the fans could, you know, could get access. It amazed me. Yeah, it is, it's a bit busy on race morning, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. But you know, I've, I've really appreciated that last year, you know, doing my job for, for Ganassi and not not being so caught up in it and you know when I when I raced I was fully focused on what was going on and so I was rushing from one meeting to another or and everything else was was a distraction and so last year I was able to sort of sit back a bit and spend a bit more time talking to the fans and 
and you know watch that whole thing, especially Indy. And it's amazing to see the, 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 how close the fans can get to everything. And yeah. and I, I was struck by that. I went to the Daytona 24 hours for the first time in 2014. And I walked onto the grid with my cameras and stuff to take some pictures. But I couldn't actually get my camera up because there are tens of thousands of fans. Just ordinary paying punters on the grid, which is brilliant. Yeah, that, that, the, the tone of the start of Daytona and the mechanics are always in a pure panic that somebody's going <laughs> to knock the wing. Yeah. Same yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. if you've got yeah. a certain pass at Indy, you can go on the, on the grid there. And it is so busy. Yeah. And I remember sitting, you know, getting ready to get in the car, and the mechanics are all stationed on the four corners of the car, to keep people away from mm. all the the sensitive areas. Somebody knocks a wing, you know. Mm. It, trust me. Can God, wouldn't you just hate to be the person who did that? <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be good, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're running out of time. Um, thank you very much. It's great to see you. Thank you. It's and, good to be um, here. Try and try and do a deal with our editor here, because I, I I think you should do some regular stuff in the magazine. I mean, all this free time, man. You keep. He's on airplanes all year. I tell you what, we'll give you an extra ten bucks, <laughs> so that you can forget about. You'll never get it from McNish. No, I'm never getting that money. <laughs> that money's never coming back, is it? Actually, so last thing: Have you driven a roadster? Because if you have, I don't think you've ever. No, I haven't yet. Uh, I, I mean. I'm gonna. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say, I look forward to I'm definitely what you have to, to say about it. Um, that sounds like a cover story for the October issue to me. Oh, so the back to back that and the and thirty eight one. Whoa! Yeah, okay. You're definitely <laughs> doing that. Um, I, I believe so. Mm. That'd be cool. Great. Okay. Thanks so much, Dario Franchitti. Great way to start the year. No, first podcast of the year. Well. We have to try and make it as good as this every month, won't we, Ed Foster? <laughs> no pressure, Ed. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for joining us, everybody. It's great to have you with us, and thanks for your support. Um, just to let you know that uh, next month, Mark Blundell will be with us. Yes. The <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad this isn't television. That'll be great. I mean, the amount of stuff that Mark is driven. Yeah. I'm going to send in questions for that. Do that. Does he owe you any money? He, Marky does not owe me any money. <laughs> I mean, he's he talk about a varied career. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait for that one. Absolutely. Yeah, no, send any questions. That'd be great. The more the merrier. Anyway, Mark Blundell will be here uh, in uh, next month. So you haven't got long to wait, actually, because he's coming in, in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, we look forward to that. And do join us for that, please. Uh, so it's goodbye from us, from Nigel Roebuck, from Simon Aaron, from our editor Damien, from Ed who puts the show together, from Alan who records it, and from Dario Franchitti. Bye-bye. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.